Welcome to the Masters in Psychology podcast, where psychology students can learn from psychologists, educators, and practitioners to better understand what they do, how they got there, and hear the advice they have for those interested in getting a graduate degree in psychology. I'm your host, Brad Schumacher, and today we welcome Phyllis Levitt to the show. Phyllis has a master's degree in psychology and has worked as a psychotherapist for over 32 years. She has had her own private practice for almost 25 years, and she has written multiple books and is currently writing a book on what it would mean to bring America therapy. Today, we will learn more about her academic and professional journey, learn more about her upcoming book, and hear her advice for those interested in the field of psychology. Phyllis, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much, Bradley, and I just really appreciate you having me here today. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk with us. You have a very interesting background. And before we get started, just tell us a little bit more about your undergraduate studies and what originally sparked your interest in psychology. Well, what originally sparked my interest in psychology was going to therapy, actually. Um, So my first experience of therapy, I was in my 30s and Uh, My life was kind of a mystery to me. I had no idea why I was drawn to what I was drawn to and some of the things in my life that really weren't working. And um, at that time, you know, psychology was not a big thing um, in the world that I lived in. And so it was a, a departure from the norm for me to go to therapy And it was really eye-opening and awakening. I actually had no idea that my childhood influenced my adulthood. And, you know, and I, and again, that was a long time ago. So it it may be not the same for um, people who are entering a master's program now, but it was, it was very eye-opening. And I had, I had three children at the time and I really wanted to go back to graduate school. And I was considering either being a teacher or a therapist. And I chose psychology and therapy. And I'm so glad I did. (laughs) Well, it sounds like it because uh, we'll we'll get into what you did with your degrees in a second, but tell us a little bit more. uh, Where did you receive your bachelor's degree and what was your major? My major was uh, originally English. I started at Simmons and then I transferred at the time the new school college in New York City had a program just for juniors and seniors. And I transferred there and I was just a a, a, a liberal arts major. So I didn't have really any psychological training early on. So at what point did you know that you wanted to continue your education and major in psychology for a graduate degree? Right. And that really came when I went to therapy and school. And that was, that was really clear. Like I really want to do this. And, um, and I was living in Santa Fe, New Mexico at the time. And um, I, uh, I researched a couple of programs. There was a program at UNM and there was a program at Highlands University for a master's in psychology and counseling. And I settled on, um, there was a field representative from Antioch University in Santa Fe at the time who was putting together a program. And I, I really like a lot of independent study as well as um, small, you know, small teaching venue. And that's really what I got with the Antioch program. And so there were a lot of, she brought together a lot of local professionals to teach classes in different areas. And then we could design some of the program ourselves. And it was really good. I thought it was really good. 
So I know I did some research on your background. Antioch University has four or five campuses, and you just mentioned that they were putting something together for Santa Fe, and you talked to that rep there. So did you end up kind of creating your own program and then taking most of the courses online, or did you, did they there have a no location? Oh, okay. There was no online, and I okay. don't know if that program exists anymore in Santa Fe. Okay. Um, yeah, no, the, the rep there put together a group of professionals that we met with in person for classes and then the rest we could design ourselves so i signed up for a family therapy training in albuquerque at the family therapy institute and i that was a year-long program and i did a year-long program in hypnotherapy and so we could design some of it ourselves and some of it was offered well, it sounds like it. I know you mentioned you were considering some other schools and programs, but Antioch kind of stood out for you. There are a lot of schools in uh, New Mexico that you could have gone uh, to and attended. So what really stood out? Was it the customization of Antioch yeah. or what was it? Yeah, it was the customization. And also it was in Santa Fe and I lived mm -hmm. there. So, and I had three young kids. So it was, it, that was just, you know, sort of practical. But um, but yes, the the customization really has always appealed to me. And I don't think I mentioned this yet, but you graduated with your master's degree in psychology and counseling. And so was right. that a program that they kind of developed for you or did that already exist? And why the combination? You know, I actually don't know the answer to that question. That's just mm -hmm. what they called the program. And okay. we certainly did. You know, I had to do a lot of internship practicum. Um, to get the degree. And so we did a lot of hands-on for, for the degree in, you know, one-on-one -on -one counseling or family counseling. So that's probably why. What were some of the fondest memories when you look back? You know, I just met wonderful people. The, the professionals that came on board to teach the classes were really, you know, experienced, fine-tuned therapists. Um, I ended up doing a personal supervision uh, or a, a supervision in child therapy class with one of the um, instructors who really became a lifelong mentor for me in my work. And so it was the connections and, um, and the experience, you know, being able to pick the experiences that I really wanted to have. And it was so convenient that it was right in Santa Fe, as you mentioned. Right. So any advice that you'd have for anybody seeking a graduate degree in psychology? You know, I, I wouldn't be a good person to say like what, because I don't know what programs are offering today, because it was quite mm -hmm. a while ago that I did sure. my program. But I think what I would say from my experience as a therapist over many years, one of the things I didn't get in the graduate work that I did, um, which I would look for now if, if I knew, um, and if I were entering a program now is I would really want to make sure that my program offered some good training in transference and counter-transference mm -hmm. because it's really a big thing. You know, it's really a big thing, what our clients trigger in us and what we trigger in them. And some of the most, some of the most profound therapy that I've done with people. And there's, you know, there's a wide range of different things that I've done with people over the years has been actually exploring that transference, counter-transference, um, 
realm of the of the relationship because it's a relationship no matter what skills you have and i think that there are some fantastic skills out there that i've used myself and really esteem like emdr and hypnotherapy and guided med guided visualization and inner child work and you know i could name a lot of things that i think are invaluable Part of the bottom line is the relationship with the therapist and the therapist relationship with the client. And so I just, I would, I would have wanted training in that. I kind of learned on the ground with a lot of supervision, <laughs> let's, let's say. Well, before we started uh, uh, recording for this, we were talking about the website a little bit, and you just mentioned some of these that are out there and all the different types of therapy that are out there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's interesting to me that Whenever I have guests on the program, they talk about specific types of therapy that they have found mm -hmm. uh, very, very impactful for their clients as well. So I just yeah. want to point out to the audience that, you know, there isn't one specific therapy or method that you need to use. And it really depends on the type of client and the type of um, um, indications that you are uncovering and what you want to uh, uh, practice and, and help with your uh, uh, clients as well. Any other thoughts on? types of therapy uh, yeah. for people who are listening. Yeah, absolutely. The two big ones that I forgot to mention were family systems and family therapy. Absolutely critical, yeah. no matter what kind of therapy you're doing, I think. And couples therapy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I just, I think the family systems approach is sort of a, a, a an umbrella over everything. And you know, even if you're just working with one person and you never see anybody else in the family, that that conceptual base is, I think, critical. And the dynamics that come involved with anything more than just a one-on-one -on -one type of uh, client-patient. Right. Yeah. Right. I read somewhere that you initially co-directed a sexual abuse program or treatment program before going into private practice, right. treating you know, anywhere from children, families, adults. Uh, at what point did you know that you wanted to become a psychotherapist? Well, I, I think I started out wanting to become a psychotherapist, you know, before I even uh, enrolled in the program, just because of my experience with this first psychotherapist that I had. So that was, that was just pretty clear. It's like, oh, this is, this is really helpful. I want to be able to offer this. You mentioned that you were kind of deciding between that route and going the teacher route. So right. a, a logical question for me is I was in the academic field for a long time and as a teacher. And so couldn't you have combined your, your passion for teaching with psychology and gone the academic route as well? Or why did you decide to go into the private practice? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think I'm just a one-on-one -on -one person. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that, I think that the, I really like to go deep with people and I really, mm -hmm. really value the one-on-one -on -one and I'm fed by that. And I think other people, I think there's many people in the world who are desperate for that deep dive into their own mystery of themselves, you know? So yeah, it was, it was just a, it was a foregone conclusion for me. Okay. Well, it sounds like it. Some people uh, have an experience or they have multiple experiences where they uh, decide, oh, you know what? I never considered this route before and I want to go that route. Uh, it sounds like you knew well in advance that yeah. uh, you wanted to go down that road. So yeah, 
Yeah. Tell, tell me more about being a co-director of that sexual abuse treatment program. I know of people who have, I don't know if you've ever heard of Domestic Abuse Project or DAP. No. Uh, okay. So it's similar to what you, what I uh, read about you being a co-director of that sexual abuse treatment program. Domestic Abuse Project is, is DAP. And, and uh, I have some people that uh, have worked uh, in the DAP program. And I think it's similar to what you uh, experienced when you were co-director. So I, I guess I'll just rephrase it. Tell us a little bit more about your experiences being that co-director of that sexual abuse treatment program. It was a fantastic uh, experience. And I would recommend for anybody who it's possible that once you get your degree, I would work somewhere in some kind of agency or, you know, social service agency or clinical setting, because I got so much experience so fast and I had amazing peer supervision. You know, I, I was really fortunate. I worked with a wonderful group of people um, and we, we did mostly group therapy. Uh, we had groups for all ages of children who had been molested. We had groups for non-offending parents. We had groups for offenders and we had groups for adults who were survivors of sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. um, so we saw the whole gamut. We interfaced with the community, with social services, with the police department. Um, and it just really, I felt like it gave me a very solid foundation for moving into private practice. And, and that leads us into, I know that you uh, had your own private practice for uh, about 25 years, and I believe you retired about a year ago to pursue mm -hmm. another passion of yours, which we're going to talk about in a second. But one question that I have for you, in all those years of doing private practice, you know, there's burnout. And I know yeah. that psychologists and psychotherapists uh, have to have that, that line and, and have a good balance. So tell me a little bit about the burnout. Some of our audience members who do go that private practice route are curious, how do I avoid burnout? And, and anything that you can share about that is really, really beneficial. Yeah, I think a couple of things. One of them is I had to teach myself to leave my practice in my office. I, I really had to like psychologically reorient myself when I left my office. Um, and I didn't, you know, that was another thing I didn't learn in graduate school. So I had to teach myself that. And that's really important. Um, but the other things that I think are really important are because I think the one downside of a private practice, if I can say, and I'm super happy that that's what I did and I wouldn't change a thing. But the one downside is it's isolating. You're not working with other people. Um, unless you have a group private practice, which mm -hmm. I didn't. Um, so part of the way that I worked with that was I I was for most most of the time that I was a therapist, I was in a peer in a supervision group with other therapists, and we had a therapist who was our supervisor, and so we would meet periodically, and that that really helped. Um, for and I did reach a place of burnout, I think, at some point. You know, not not crippling burnout, but just like, oh my God, this is like, I really need something else here. And, and part of that is just feeding yourself in your own personal life, you know, mm -hmm. uh, for sure with your own, you know, make sure, making sure you get fed um, and you're not just, you know, there for other people. Um, but, but I think the other, the other thing that I did that was really helpful for me was a couple, I, I, for a couple of years, I was a consultant, um, I did EMDR at an inpatient treatment program in town. And I did that just like one afternoon a week, but that gave me 
another community and another um, sense of connectedness. So I think it's it's just important to find a way to stay connected. Yeah, and, and have that good balance. And it is difficult at the beginning, I would imagine, to separate it because you're going home and you just had a nice, uh, well, I shouldn't say nice or very heated um, discussion or revealing, um, you know, yeah. um, and, and it's hard to set that aside because you have to get that out of your mind and then focus on your own family life. So, yeah. And I really, it was a conscious training. I would say yeah. that I gave myself even between sessions. Okay. I I'm turning something off and I'm turning it on for the next person. Right. Right. <laughs> The other aspect of owning your own private practice is the business side of it. And so talk to us for a few minutes about how difficult was it for you to start your own private practice? And did you do everything yourself, the marketing, the books, accounting, insurance, or did you bring somebody else in? Tell us a little bit about your experience with that. I did everything myself in terms of like the books, um, um, but, and I would just say like, you know, one of the reasons why I would stress for people that if I, if I were to do it again, I would do what I did, which is to work in a, a clinical setting to begin with. For one thing, it, I, it gave me a lot of connections to referrals, mm-hmm. um, which I wouldn't have had if I had just walked out and said, here I am. Mm-hmm. And so for me, and for me, that actually worked. I never marketed myself. I, mm-hmm my whole practice was built on referrals and I was very fortunate. I have to say, and this isn't everybody's story, but one of my first clients ran a preschool and I was focused on running on working with children in the very Mm -hmm. beginning of my practice. And I got so many referrals from her that just mushroomed out. And, um, but it's, it is making connections. I think it's really important. I think, I know there's a big networking group in Santa Fe of therapists and it's probably still going on. And I think, you know, finding the people who are going to refer to you for the specialties that you have. um, Yeah, that's, and so, so for me, I was fortunate I didn't advertise, but I think some people need to and give workshops or, you know, give talks on what they specialize in and, and make themselves known. I have, my son is a, psychotherapist in Colorado. And, um, and he's become very known as a couples therapist where he does be, and he gives talks and he gives trainings and, you know, there's, there's many different ways to build um, your, your imprint on your community. Mm -hmm. Are there any other suggestions or advice for those who are thinking of opening up their own private practice? You already mentioned a couple, anything else for those who are considering opening their private practice for the first time? Well, I can't think of anything else at the moment, but if it comes okay. to me, I'll tell you. Okay, no problem. We appreciate your uh, your thoughts and suggestions. Let's move a little bit now. Now we're kind of caught up. As I said, you retired about a year ago to pursue another passion of yours, which is writing. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to go ahead and share mm-hmm. your uh, website here. And I know that you've already written uh, a couple of books and um, you're working on a third one, as I mentioned in the uh, introduction. And so when we look at your website here, uh, give some information on your background a little bit. And then down below, you have some uh, uh, links as well as up above. And when you go to your book section, you have a couple of books here that uh, have been out for a little while, uh, a light in the darkness, and then into the fire. And uh, of course, you can 
search online and, and see some more of these online as well. Uh, but the one thing that uh, I'll, I'll hide my controls here so I can get to the Amazon page. And here's the Amazon page and you can click on see all the details for a little bit more information on these as well. But tell us a little bit more about the current book that you're writing uh, mm -hmm. and and what's the goal behind the book and, and tell us a little bit more so we have a better understanding. I started searching for the book, but it isn't out yet. So I wanted right. to uh, pick your pick your brain a little bit. You you mentioned that you wanted to bring America to therapy. So tell us a little bit more about yeah. the book you're writing. Yeah, you know, I had the idea for this book probably almost 20 years ago, and I didn't write it then. And I'm actually glad because um, I think my the understanding and the scope of what I want to say has grown since then. But the the original idea came from a couple two different places really. One was that I had abuse in my own childhood. And so I was a really a mystery to myself for a lot of my life. Really, it wasn't until right before I went to therapy that I began to realize something happened to me. I'm not just, I'm not just weird. <laughs> you know, there's not just something wrong with me. Something happened. And it, it began very slowly to come up from my unconscious. And, but I was really a mystery to myself for so many years. And, um, and I, 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 a lot of my life didn't feel like totally in control of what I was attracted to or what I couldn't manifest or that kind of thing. And, and then I realized once I realized that there was abuse in my childhood and I had some very explicit memories and like all the puzzle pieces began to fall into place. And, and then the next thought was, well, there's millions of people like me out there and we feel so alone. And so, you know, alone in our misfitness or in our, you know, um, in our pain, but really there's millions of people like me out there. And they're not only the victims of child abuse, but um, they're victims of war and, and um, you know, discrimination and poverty and sexism and, you know, and, and that there's so many people in the world who don't know why they are the way they are, don't feel control over what they do and are a mystery to themselves and don't get the help that they need. Mm -hmm. Don't even know perhaps that that's the cause of what's going on in them or one of the big contributing causes. And then the next leap, the big leap from there for me, which is really um, kind of the crux of my book in, and there's several, so <laughs> it's hard to say them all, is that our government operates very much in many ways, like an abusive parent, that um, our government, you know, and it's not everyone in the government and it's not all government, but there are many people in positions of great power who pick their scapegoats, mm -hmm. um, target certain populations and make them the enemy, which is exactly what abusive adults do in their own families. They pick their scapegoats and it might be everybody, but it also might just be one child. Mm -hmm. um, and then their victims become symptomatic and then they blame them for their symptoms. So, you know, the most typical one is don't cry. If you cry, I'll, I'll hit you more because you're not allowed to cry even if I hit you. Um, and that's, you know, that's the tip of a very big iceberg. And I see that in our country, that people are kept in positions of discrimination and poverty and um, withheld resources from. And then they're symptomatic. 
you know, they can't find a job or there's spousal abuse or they're, they end up being a protester. Um, and rather than our reading their symptoms the way we do in psychology, we read people's symptoms as we're looking for a cause. We're looking for the pain. We're looking for the wound. Um, and we're trying to heal that. We're not looking at people like you're a horrible person um, because you have the symptom or you're deficient or what's the matter with you. It's like, oh, there's a good reason why you are the way you are. And so my whole book is designed to try to bring that understanding to the way we see our country and the way we treat people. Like, um, and you know, one of the one of the big uh, things that I learned in family therapy is that yeah, and I'm sure you're familiar with the term, the identified patient, um, but, you know, the, the most symptomatic person in the family is the one that usually brings the family to therapy. The kid who is wetting the bed or acting out at school or won't, um, you know, has no friends or is, you know, whatever, and they get the family to therapy. And then you find out that they're really the tip of the iceberg of maybe addiction in the family or fighting between the parents or, a conflictual divorce or, you know, and they're really calling for help for the family. So my underlying thesis is that the most symptomatic among us are calling for help for the American family, for our country's family. And really you could generalize that to the whole world. Mm -hmm. um, the most symptomatic people in, in the entire world are calling for help for our global human family. But I'm focused on America because I live here and I know this country. Um, well, let me let me give you a break from talking and, and shine yeah. in here. I, I noticed your first two books had a spiritual bent to it or a spiritual aspect to it. And even wow. on your website, you have said many years ago, I wrote a poem entitled My God is this empty sheet of paper. And yeah. writing has always been my path and my practice. And so yeah. in this new book, are you still bringing in some spirituality to it or tell us that aspect? I noticed that when yeah. I read a little bit about the book, it seems like there are multiple themes throughout this book as well. And so right. you already talked about one. Right. And I'm not really combining them in this book, except that I would say that this, what I experienced and it's all about in my first two books um, and I actually plan to write more books in that vein because I have more that I want to share in that vein. But really, when I was at the worst place in my own process of recovering memories of, of what happened to me, um, I had a remarkable experience of a divine consciousness beginning to speak to me as I wrote in my journal, because I, I wrote everything in my journal. And it it was like the great big picture that I got. Like, it's not an accident. There is a plan, there is a purpose, and there is a way to transform um, the consciousness that I was living in, which was a, a lot of pain and a lot of, um, a lot of isolation, like, you know, feeling very alone. Um, there is a way to transform all of that. And, you know, and that is what psychology does in its own way. And I would say the messages that I got we're in kind of in a different, not language, but a different uh, angle of looking at it. But really, a lot of what I got um, had to do with working with your projections and the projections that you take on from other people. And a lot about um, healing the masculine and feminine divide, which kind of, um, when it escalates, and it 
certainly is has escalated in our country and all over the world, and maybe it always has. Um, it 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 becomes domination and submission, and 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 that the healing of that alone, um, which you could say that's that's very a big part of psychotherapy, is finding ourselves, you know healing the masculine and feminine within us, as well as healing the relationship between men and women, um, that that one issue, which was really brought to my awareness through this consciousness that wrote to me in a very specific way, that alone would heal this earth. If we could move beyond domination and submission and really experience ourselves as equals and find the balance of the male and female within ourselves, as well as honor that in others, we wouldn't have war. We wouldn't have rape. We wouldn't have greed. You know, we wouldn't have so many things. And so in that way, I would say that what I received from a spiritual source really is completely integrated into the world of psychology and I, and my experience as a therapist and as a client. And so, um, while I don't speak that particular language in this book, it's very, it informs all of my experience. Does that make sense? It does. And I, I, you know, I have a few um, um, resources in front of me that I uncovered when you were talking about this book and you, you've been on other podcast shows and other things on your website allude to this. Another theme that I see in there is this idea of hope. There is hope uh, out there and you have yeah. to grasp that and, and understand that and embrace that. And then you already mentioned the other one that I was going to bring up is the healing. And uh, I, I think I uh, can kind of summarize this uh, paragraph by saying the best psychotherapy is healing everyone as possible or healing as many people as possible, not blaming, scapegoating or punishment. Mm -hmm. The most powerful way to interrupt the cycle of violence, it is the road to prevention and it helps uh, change your beliefs in how you actually interact with uh, each other and the community. So it's not only an interaction, it's with the community. And you already mentioned the government yeah. as well. So yeah, I mean, absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that back up the idea of hope because, because one of the things that really struck me when I was first sitting down to gather my thoughts for this book was, you know, we bring hope to our clients. We have hope for our clients. We wouldn't do this work if we didn't think there was hope for healing and transforming pain into purpose and meaning and fulfillment. And the tools that we've learned, and, and I know that psychology and psychotherapy are ever evolving sciences and practices, but even what we have evolved to this point isn't being used on a national level. And it could be, and that's where the hope is like, you know, um, and, and, and again, this goes back to the early therapy that I did. I wish someone had said to me, there's light at the end of the tunnel and I'm going to be here with you until you get there. I say that to my clients, if that's, if it's appropriate for what they're dealing with. Um, I didn't know there was light at the end of the tunnel. That's why I called my book Light in the Darkness. You know, I didn't know that. Um, and so I sort of stumbled my way through the darkness. And I feel like there's so much hope. And there's other realms that offer hope besides psychotherapy and psychology. But this is my field. And so this is the hope that I want to offer. And I think there's great hope. Um, it wasn't until the last 
two elections in all the years that I've been a therapist, it wasn't until the last two elections that I have ever had one client come in and talk to me about how traumatized they felt by what was going on in our country. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a there's an incredible psychiatrist named Dr. Bandy Lee, who's written a lot about <clears throat> the current mental state of some of our leaders. And she calls it um, battered nation syndrome. And so, you know, so I'm sort of looking at the micro, the macrocosm through the microcosm of my experience. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. And I'm actually typing up Bandy uh, Lee and is it Bandy X Lee? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So there are. Quite amazing. Um, yeah. So there are some resources out there for uh, you to look into this. I'll include this. Uh, link uh, when we go live with your uh, podcast so uh, people can look up Bandy Lee as well. Great. Uh, The website is basically bandylee.com, B-A-N-D-Y-L-E-E.com. I'm going to share my screen real quick because I wanted to uh, go back to your website in a second and highlight a couple things if people are more interested in what's going on. So here's that bandylee.com website. I'll go back to yours. And I wanted to highlight that you have some stuff about your books here. You have a reviews and, and blog. You have some uh, divine meditations and then some other services, but you are now retired. I should remind everybody. And right. so, right. but you, before we started recording, you said you're going to revamp this website as well. So yeah. what are some of the changes that you're going to put on the website versus what we see now? Well, everything that's on the website will be there, but mm-hmm. um the 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 homepage the top of the whole top of the homepage is going to be devoted to the book that I'm writing now okay and then as I you know when I get it published and I have can actually offer the book then I'll update it again but um okay. and then the blogs that I'm writing now um the blogs that are on the website now are the blogs that I wrote probably through 2020 maybe 2021 mm-hmm. um and I will be writing new blogs that have more to do with what I'm focused on now that will be um, uploaded, you know, at some point soon. Okay. Well, that sounds uh, good. Yeah. I should point out that you you do have uh, social media out there. Uh, here is your Facebook uh, page as well as your Twitter. And then you have your LinkedIn page uh, right. that has some information as well. So I wanted right. to share those. The last okay. thing that I should point out is you do have a YouTube channel. And so you do have some videos on here that uh, mm-hmm. uh, some of them are more recent. And then you you had kind of a, uh, I think, a series here, it looks like, right. um, play of human consciousness, uh, one, two, and three. And then uh, the original one was on Mother Earth and then immortality as well. So feel free to visit that. Anything else that you'd like to say about your upcoming book? Uh, well, just about the about this YouTube really quick, the mm-hmm. all the ones that have a picture on them are material from my first two books. Okay. And then this last video where my face is, is um, kind of sort of setting the stage to make a bridge into what I'm writing now. Okay. Well, yeah. Good. Yeah. I will go ahead and stop share. I'll make sure that Thank we you. include those links. Uh, at the end of most of our uh, podcast interviews we like asking some fun questions so if you don't mind i have a few fun questions not at all so first of all phyllis tell us something unique about yourself you've already talked about some unique stuff but anything else comes to mind that's unique about yourself oh 
You know, I don't know. I think probably I have talked about it. I just think that I've been gifted and blessed to, in my own experience, to bring the what I call the world of spirit or connection to a consciousness higher than ourselves to, you know, what's on the ground, the world of psychology, how we actually interact with each other, um, how we get to be imperfect and be on a journey and still um, be loved and be the vehicles for love for one another the very best we can. So I feel blessed. That's that's probably my most unique feature. <laughs> well, it sounds good. I know that uh, you've already alluded to some of those and why you feel blessed as well. One other question that I usually ask my guests is, what is your favorite term, principle, or theory, and why? Well, it probably all comes down to love. Okay. I think that's my favorite. I think that um, that we're here to love each other. We're here to learn how to love ourselves. Um, and that love is the greatest healer. It is the greatest healer. And I think, you know, one of the things that I became so aware of when I was writing this book too, was that, you know, I have not worked with one person ever. I don't know anyone who doesn't just want love in their life or more love or heal the wounds to love. And I think that's true for all human beings underneath whatever the defenses are and the destructive coping mechanisms or the hopelessness or whatever. I think it comes down to, we want to be seen. We want to be valued. We want to belong. And those are all aspects of love and cared for. Do you have any other advice for those who are interested in the field of psychology? Um, yeah, I mean, and probably this isn't any new news, but I would say um, a couple of things like really do your own work. Do, you know, go to therapy, do whatever or whatever avenues of personal growth. Um, do it and do it and do it because I feel like you know, I learned EMDR and I learned all these wonderful things in psychology and I use them and I've used them and they're fantastic. Um, but we're a vehicle for something. And so our own work is what comes through, you know, um, and, and enables us to go to the places that are so hard for other people. You know, we, we go there with you. I, so, you know, I needed somebody to go there with me. I couldn't have done it alone. So that would be, that would be a big one. Well, it sounds like um, that that's heartfelt and it could be applied to those who are interested in the field of psychology or any field. Um, yeah. It's just life uh, advice. Yeah. Um, one other fun last uh, question that I uh, ask everybody is think about this for a second. If you had the time and money to complete one project or go on one trip, what would you do? Well, it would be a project and I would, um, I, I, I guess there's two, two forks to it. One is I would finish this book and have it, have it, um, published and out in the world and do everything in my power to have it be read and make a difference. Um, and I would finish all the other books that I want to write that come from, um, more of the, the download that I got from another consciousness. And then I also, you know, I'm interested if, if I had the time and the money and I live long enough, I, I think it would be really curious to put together a book of other people's observations on what I'm writing in this book. Cause mm -hmm. I think it's a big conversation and other people have things to add that I've probably left out. 
Is there anything else that you uh, would like to discuss or bring up in this podcast? No, I think I think this is wonderful, and I just so appreciate you, um, and you know, giving me the space and the time to share, and asking thoughtful questions, and having this forum to contribute to other people. I just think that's wonderful. You're very welcome. I do appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to be on the podcast as well, and share your thoughts and experiences while writing this book. Uh, I, I wish you luck in finishing this book and your other projects as well. Phyllis, yeah. thanks again for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Psychology podcast. If you want to learn more about our guest or listen to other podcasts, you can visit our website, mastersinpsychology.com, where you can search through all of the schools in the United States that offer advanced degrees in psychology. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And remember, if you enjoyed this podcast, please like, follow, or share.